right, morning. How we doing? Good, good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in Habakkuk uh, chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter uh, 2. I just want to um, and encourage you this morning with God's Word. Um, it's going to be a little tough this morning as we're going to look at just um, some difficult uh, truth uh, in the Scriptures. And so I just want you to prepare your heart for that. Uh, but hear me, as much as you're going to struggle, I struggle myself uh, just to work through some of uh, what God's doing uh, in the world at this time. And so uh, what we see in the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk has some problems with God. Uh, anybody, anybody ever had a problem with God? We can be honest. I know it's church and it's hard, but we can do it. Show those hands. Anybody ever had a problem with God? Maybe something he did, something he didn't do. Okay, good. Me too. I'm not trying to co you into raising your hand so I can get you. I mean, like I said, honesty, right? Good place to be. Um, I, I'm right there uh, with you. And so um, I just uh, share for a moment some of my struggle with God. I just struggle when something happens to a kid, you know? Uh, when something horrific happens or if um, God chooses for whatever reason to take a young one out of this world, I just struggle. Whether elementary, newborn, all the way up to high school, college, I just struggle uh, with that, or uh, one of another struggle that I really have is like when when a tragedy hits, maybe there's a shooting or uh, somebody's in their car and they decide to take people out uh, on the walkway there and they just mow over people. I, I just struggle. I struggle with those type of things happening in our world, and it just it it, it hurts. And I I just I just I, I wonder. I mean, God, you you could have stopped that. God, you you could have not made that. And you stop it. Why did you allow that to happen? And, and so I never want us to turn off our minds. I never want us to disconnect uh, or, or shut down. I want us to always press into. And so what we see in Habakkuk is that he has some problems with God. He has some issues with God, and he doesn't like the fact that Judah, the southern kingdom there, is, is worshiping idols. And so what does he do? He complains to God. He goes to God. He sees something and recognizes something, and he's like, God, what are you doing? God, are you not aware of what's happening and what's taking place? Why are you letting them worship idols? Why are you letting them do something that they shouldn't be doing? Why are you allowing them to be in rebellion against you? God, are you not aware of this? Are you not paying attention? And then do you remember God's response? God's response back to Habakkuk. So Habakkuk initiates this conversation and God responds. And God, God says, oh, oh, oh I'm, not, I'm not sitting back idle. Habakkuk, I'm going to do something. I'm not just watching all this and letting all this happen. I'm, I'm about to send the Babylonians. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, and I'm going to discipline my people because of their rebellion. So God responds to him. And what happens in Habakkuk? It freaks him out a little bit, doesn't it? Whoa, 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 God. You, you, whoa, whoa, hold up. Uh, the Chaldeans are wicked, though. The Chaldeans are wicked people far from you, and you're going to send them to discipline and take care of us? And so now he's got this big problem with God, doesn't he? He's got this big problem in how uh, God's going to work because the problem that he has is, is that they may be wicked, like, like, like Judah there is wicked, and they're, they're kind of rebelling against God. And in his mind, in his eyes, it's just a little bit, but the Chaldeans, like they're horrific people. I mean, they're so much more worse than Judah is. And so he has a problem with that, that God is going to do that. And so it freaks him out and it scares him and it frustrates him. Why would you use people that are more wicked to discipline us? He says, God, surely you wouldn't do that. There's no way you'll let that happen. No way you're going to let that happen and go on. And then God has this real generous dialogue with him, doesn't he? God engages him all the more and has this dialogue with him where he begins to unpack and he let Habakkuk know uh, the reality that, that Habakkuk doesn't know his left from his right. That Habakkuk is so, 
so limited with what he can see and be aware of. That Habakkuk doesn't have a clue. But, but God's not that way, is he? God, God's not limited like we are limited, like Habakkuk is limited. And, and in fact, God is beyond time. Right? Tomorrow is not something that God's aware of. Tomorrow is somewhere that God already is. And God lets Habakkuk know that. God reminds Habakkuk of who he is. And he begins to explain to Habakkuk how massive he is. I'm the God of the universe, Habakkuk. And then from there you get this question that just pulls at the soul. I don't know about for you, but for me it just pulls at the soul. And I, like I said, I never want us to disengage or, or to step away from, but I want us to, to feel the weight because there's weight there. There's questions there. And so if God is infinite, if he's sovereign, and when I say sovereign, I mean God is in control of all things at all times. Nothing frustrates, nothing aggravates, nothing throws off his plan and his purpose. God is in control of all things at all time, regardless. If God is infinite, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, and he can do whatever he pleases, then what do we do with pain? What do we do with suffering? What do we do with loss? What do we do with hurt? What do we do with those things since we say that God is good? What do we do in those moments? And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that. We talked about that. And we've got one of two reactions that we can have. The first reaction is, is to be proud. It's to let arrogance and be puffed up kind of creep in and where, where we believe if it was just done our way. If God would have just listened to us. If God would have just taken notice. If he would have done it the way that we wanted to instead of the way that he did it, then things would have worked out right. And what the scripture teaches in those moments, that the heart is full of pride. A heart that believes it knows better than God is a heart full of pride. And then the second response that we can have, as we saw in Habakkuk 2, is this, is is that we live by faith. Is that the righteous live by faith. And so what that means is this, is that we don't always have the answer for the why. We don't always have the answer, we're not always in the know, but we can trust that even in the darkest of days that God is good, Right? That even in the most difficult times and circumstances and the things that we face, that God is even in the face of that good and working. And the story that we looked at a few weeks ago is that of Joseph. Joseph, the youngest brother, ends up, his brothers finally get tired of him being the favorite, and so they want to they kill him. But instead, they decide to sell him into slavery. And as they sell him into slavery because of what he was saying, that one day you're going to bow down and worship me, and so they sell him into slavery, his brothers, and they take this story for their dad that he had died, and his dad mourns the loss of his youngest, his favorite son, and he becomes, he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar loved Joseph, elevates him up to the highest of slaves in his house. Potiphar's got a crazy wife, though. Uh-huh, and his crazy wife likes her some Joseph. And so what does she do? She runs after him and wants him. She needs, needs him. But, but he doesn't fall for it. Why? Because he says that he loves God. And that he would never do that to his God or to his master. And so anyways, one day he goes in and she grabs his clothes, pretty much takes it off of him, and he runs out. And then she claims some claims on him. And what happens? He gets thrown into prison. And while in prison, what happens there? He meets two guys that's working for Pharaoh. I mean, how crazy is this story, right? God, where are you at in this? God, I've had these dreams. I believe you're going to do something. You're calling me to something. Now I'm in prison? I was a slave? Now I'm in prison? While in prison, meets these two guys that work for Pharaoh and have a dream. And the fast forward to the story, Pharaoh ends up having a dream. Those guys, one, one dies and one gets out. And they remind Pharaoh of this guy. And God does all of that to do what? To elevate Joseph and get him where he needs to be. 
to put him in the place that he needs to be. Why? So he can rescue and redeem God's people. Why? Because God has a plan. God is working even in the suffering. God is working even in the hardship. God is working even in the difficult times. And that's what we see happen in the story of Joseph. And and that's a biblical story. But the same thing happens today, does it not? The same thing happens in our world today. I I just think of people who've had cancer and they have suffered well for the glory and honor of God. Why? Because they understand and they know that God is doing something far greater in them than they could ever, ever imagine. I mean, countless people that I know who have, who have went through and have been, who have been through the ringer give glory and honor to God on the other side. There's people that I know who have lost little ones, like kids when I tell you, like have, have lost children. Blame God, they run to God. Why? Because he's their source. They may not understand it, they may not get it, but they know that God is good even in the difficulties and they know that God is working something far, far greater in them so they press into. They live by faith. They choose to trust God. They choose to trust God even in the difficulties. So God is loving and he's at work to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. That's God's underlying work here in difficulties and struggles. And so the righteous live by faith faith even in the face of tragedy. We live by faith even in the face of loss. We live by faith in the face of devastation. We are people of faith even when it doesn't make sense and it looks crazy. Church, we are men and women of faith and we press in. We can't explain it. We just know and we trust that God is good and that he's accomplishing what's good even in the pain, even in the difficulty. And so now what we're going to see in the scriptures, what we're going to see in the stories, we start here in Habakkuk 2.6, is that, is that God's going to address the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. So I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me this morning before we jump in and then we'll jump into Habakkuk 2. Father, we need you. Lord, we ask that you move. God, we ask that you speak. Jesus, make your presence known in this place. God, that you would do a mighty work. God, there's difficult truth that we've got to face and look at this morning. And so, Lord, we just, we ask that you help us, Holy Spirit, to receive whatever it is you have for us this morning. God, that you would just speak in, in a way that's louder than words. Father, thank you for loving. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being good. Thank you for working. Lord, we need you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So Habakkuk 2, verse 6, Habakkuk 2, verse 6, this is what God's word says. It says, shall not these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him. I just want to point your attention to that phrase as you're going to see that over and over and over in the next few scriptures as they come up. Just, just, just take note of that. Woe to him is what uh, uh, God says back to Habakkuk. Woe to him. And then he describes the woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will spoil for them because you have plundered my nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So here's what God's doing. This is what's taking place. God has said to Judah, I'm going to discipline you with the Chaldeans. I'm going to discipline you. And now what he's saying is this, he's turned his attention to the Chaldeans and what he says is he uses this phrase and we'll see it over and over and over, woe is you, woe is you who, and then he describes what they're doing, he's telling of what they're doing, their wickedness that they're, they're uh, involved in. And so he's saying to those Chaldeans, woe to you. And so now it's not discipline for them, but what they're going to get is they're going to get God's wrath. What's going to happen? God is going to pour out his wrath on them. Judah gets discipline 
but the Chaldeans and the Babylonians get wrath. Woe to you. And my question is why? Why are they getting wrath? And it's because they have used and abused people and the remnant of that people who are still here are going to rise up and they're going to overthrow them is what, is what God tells Habakkuk. Just wait, it's coming is what he tells him. Verse 9, look at what he says. There's that phrase again. Woe to him. Who's him? The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have uh, fortified your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. And so what he's saying here is this, is not only have the Chaldeans beat up, have the Chaldeans conquered people, but they have made their own lives safe off the blood and the work of others. They are a wicked, wicked, perverse people. So they're living with plenty while others have needs. They're living with plenty while others are hard-pressed. And the Bible says on that day, there's going to be woe. And it's even so bad that the walls are going to cry out of their guilt. And so what God is doing is he's just painting a picture here. He's just animating creation. He's saying this is how horrific it's going to be that the very walls are going to see what's going to happen and they're going to cry out and the, the beams are going to respond to that. It's going to be that horrific for them. And then look at what he says in verse 12. He says, woe to him. There he goes again. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and the nations worry themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says, there's a day coming when this world's going to know. When people are going to be aware of my might and my majesty and my splendor. Verse 15, woe to him. Look at that promise and guarantee. God just continues to repeat, woe, woe. Habakkuk, you think it's bad what, what's happening to you? Just wait how I'm going to respond to the wickedness of those who are against me. You, you think what I'm doing is bad when I've got planned for you to get you where I need you, where I, I want you as my people? Just wait to those who have want nothing to do with me. Uh, woe to him, verse 15 says, who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drink in order to gaze at their nakedness. And look at what he says. You will have your fill. And listen to that promise. God says, Habakkuk, you... Just hang in there. And I'm aware of my people. And I'm aware of those who are coming against my people. And I've got a plan. And I'm working. And I'm doing. And these people, they think that they will have their fill. They think that they'll have something. But look at what he says. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. You think that you're something. You think that you've got it. He says, drink yourself there in 16 and show your uncircumcision. What he's saying is simply this, is that you're a people that don't belong to me. You're a remnant that's not mine. Uncircumcision is just a picture of them not belonging to the Lord. He says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. That is not a good sign, church. He tells Habakkuk that he is going to answer and he's going to respond to those who want nothing to do with him, who come against his people. And so you see here in this scripture, this, the cup in the Lord's right hand is going to come around you. Utter shame will come upon your glory. This idea of cup here is just symbolic of the wrath of God towards man's rebellion. It's just symbolic of the cup that's going to be poured out, the wrath that's going to be poured out on, on fallen mankind. And so think for a moment, where do we see this mention of cup in the scriptures? 
Where are we made aware of this reality of the cup? We've got Jesus in the garden, right? What does he do? He falls down and he begins to pray. And what does he pray to his father? He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. What he's saying is, God, if there's any other way, can we go that route? Knowing good and well that that this cup has got to be poured out on him. But in that moment of agony, in that moment of reality, the cross pressing upon him, it's it's in the forevision of where he's headed. And as he sees that and he knows that this cup's going to be poured out upon him, what? God's wrath. All of God's wrath is going to be poured out on Jesus. He knows that and he sees that and he asks God if there's any other way, let this cup pass. That's the cup that God's talking about for the Chaldeans, for the Babylonians. That's what he's talking about and making reference of. Please let this cup pass for me is what Jesus says. What's that cup? That cup's God's wrath against sinful man, right? That cup is God's just judgment. God's holiness being poured out on sin. And so I think the problem is as we think about that reality, as we, as we, we, we don't like to talk about that, we want to disconnect from, from those type of things, but as we think about that, we, we, we've got to remember what sin is. Sin is going against God. Yes, we sin against one another. But our ultimate offense is not against each other. Our ultimate offense is against the holy God. To set things in motion, to be a way, to, to, to respond a way, to act a way, to live a way, to be. And when we sin, we may sin against each other, but our ultimate offense is against a holy and righteous God. And what God says is this cup is going to come to you. You're going to get what you rightfully deserve That's what he's telling Habakkuk here. That the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, that cup is coming their way. He says, and I'm going to use you as an instrument of discipline for my people. See, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians think that they're safe. They think that they're good. They think that they're strong enough. That they're powerful enough. And God says, it may appear and it may look like a certain thing, but Habakkuk, no. Nothing happens unless I allow it. Nothing happens and goes on unless I allow it to happen and go on. And, and as I just thought about this and as I look at this and as I can just imagine the Chaldeans and Babylonians just kind of gloating in their power and what they think to be glory, I, I just think of the, the story in Job where, where Satan is just looking to take down Job. And God allows him to come into his presence and as God and Satan have this conversation And the thing that I love about that story in Job is that Satan can't do a thing unless God allows it. Do you remember that story? He says, okay, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this to Job. You just can't touch his life. I mean, imagine, like we think of Satan as like this big old, like powerful, great whatever. I mean, but he is puny compared to our God. I mean, have you thought about that? Like, like whatever is happening in your life that you want to give Satan credit for. I mean, think about it for a moment that, that, that God is in control of Satan even here and now in this moment. And he can do nothing unless God says it's okay. Unless God allows for it to happen. Unless God says this, this, and no more. I mean, think about that for a moment. And so as the Chaldeans are gloating in their glory and their strength and their presence... God says, no, 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 my wrath will burn against their rebellion. They will answer for their sin. They will answer for their sin. Verse 17 says this, it says, The violence done 
to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Do you see what the response? It's going to overwhelm you, this destruction. The beasts will be terrified for the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell. You're going to be devastated at what's going to happen. You're not going to believe it, is what God says. Habakkuk, it looks bad for you and, and my people. Oh, but it's, it's far worse for those who are outside, outside of who I am. That's what he's telling him. And so I know this is difficult because we live in a very tolerant society, right? We live in a very tolerant world. Can't everybody just get along? We'll all get there in the end type mentality and thinking and this idea that God could be wrathful. Or that God can have wrath towards sin. It doesn't sit well with us, right? It, it makes us look like backwoods rednecks. That's, that's, that's how we feel sometimes with it. it. It reminds me of some small little country churches that I grew up in. You mean to tell me you believe in hell? And it's that hot? Brother, I believe it is hotter than we could ever imagine. I believe that it is more horrific than we could get our minds around. And I believe it is more real than you and I in this room this morning. Absolutely. And the reason why I believe it is because the scripture teaches it. Because God has spoke of it. He has told us not to scare us, but to warn us, to put compassion in our hearts for those who are far from God. That's why he tells us about it. And we live in that world that is tolerant. And all we are doing is loving people to hell. All we're doing is blessing their heart right to, right to their, their, their demise. So do I believe that God is going to have wrath towards sin? Absolutely. Absolutely I do. Because God is holy and just and loving and gracious and to be all of those things, there's got to be the other side of the coin. You don't get one without the other. And so this world and even the church doesn't like to talk about, doesn't like to look at this reality. Right, in the world and in the church, there's this, uh, in the back of our minds, knowledge of God. Of course there's a God. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're in the South, right? We believe it. Yeah, God, yeah. Jesus, yeah, I'm for him. I love him. But what happens in that, if we're not careful, we, get to, we want to pick and choose different aspects of God's character. And what that means is we negate other aspects of God's character. So people based on nothing but their own speculations say things like this. God is love. We like loving God. We like gracious God. We like merciful God. And we'll use words and, and descriptions like that to describe his character. And we'll say things like, if God is love, there's no way he could do these things. Our God is a forgiving God. And we just can't fathom that he would do something like what we're reading or hearing here in the scriptures. And so what happens is this, is instead of God being personal, He's just some sort of object to be studied. Just some sort of object to be known. And what happens is that sin carries no personal weight at all. Sin carries no personal weight at all. You sin, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay, just move past it. We're not being that rebellious against the creator, God of the universe. Instead, we're just breaking a little moral law. We're just going against a little thing here. And so why does God get so frustrated that I'm lying? Why does he get so angry at the reality of, of my lie or, or my sin or, or, or my, my going against whatever he has said? Why does he get so frustrated with the wickedness of my heart? 
I mean, I don't, I don't cuss that much. At least I don't say the big ones, right? I, I don't respond that way or look at people that way with lust in my heart that much. At least, at least I don't act upon it. Or, or I may have hate in my heart towards them, but I, but I don't physically go after them. Why would God get so amped up and, and angry at that? So what's happened is we've removed him as someone we have a relationship with. We remove that relational aspect of our God. He's not someone that we walk with, someone that we love and value and want to grow in relationship with. Because what happens when, when we do that with someone? When they're hurt, we're hurt, right? When something comes against them, we feel the pain of that. We don't want to go against them or hurt them or break their heart or, or act in a way of ill will toward them. Because we've got relationship with them. We care about them. We're walking with them. And so this idea of being offended or rebellion against him, it comes off in our mind, is it wrong or wicked? How? How could that be the case? See, God being wrathful toward our sin doesn't sit well with us because God is something that's studied. He's not someone who is truly known, who is pursued, who is worshipped, who is loved. So, so what we see here in this moment happening with Habakkuk is God's making known his coming wrath against rebellious creation. He's making known of the wrath to come. And so the purpose of Judah is discipline, but the purpose of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians is far different. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 real fast. Hebrews 12, if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, is where we're going to be. This is what the authors of Hebrews says. Hebrews 12, 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation, the addresses as you as sons? Have you forgotten that, that you're in a different position? He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Don't take it lightly when God disciplines you. Don't grow weary in that. And then he's going to tell us why as he continues. He says, for the Lord disciplines who? The ones he loves. So Scott, you're telling me that God will discipline me? Absolutely. Why would God do that? Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. Because he's wanting to do a far greater work in you. And it's only good and right to discipline him, right? If not, what happens? We become spoiled brats. We don't want to be spoiled brats for God. That's not how it works. Anybody ever be around kids that's just spoiled brats? Like I just, I go back to, to Willy Wonka, right? Veruca Salt. Daddy, I want the golden goose. Daddy, I want that piece of candy. All right, baby, I'll get He never told her no. What does that show us about it? He hated his daughter. It looks like love, but in the end, it's not. It just makes him a spoiled brat, but that's not how God works. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chases every son whom he receives. That's what God does, because he's loving and gracious. So church, hear me this morning. Difficulties, sufferings, Pain are used by God to discipline us because he loves us. As people of faith, that's the lenses by which we look through. Difficulties, struggles, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance is, God disciplines us because he loves us. Because he cares for us. And so what discipline is, is just a vision for the future that enacts things today. Discipline is a vision for the future that enacts things today. So let me give you an example. So I've got two little boys. My wife and I, Meredith and I, have two little boys. And so we've got a vision for our boys. 
We've got a picture of what we want them to be like in this world, in this culture, in this society. We've got a picture and a hope for those two young men. That they'll grow and that they'll be. And so our greatest desire for our boys is not for them to be doctors, lawyers, millionaires, have all the cars and houses, have all the stuff. The greatest desire for our little boys is as they come to know Jesus first. Foremost. Period. And my prayer for them is that they will grow up to be ferocious men of God. Mighty disciple makers for our Lord. First and foremost, that, that's the greatest desire. And God, whatever you got to do to get them to that place, however you got to do it to get them there, God, use us. And so that's the vision that we have for our boys. And so what do we do as parents? We're going to work like crazy to, to help develop that. And we're going to beg God to move. We're going to beg God to save him young. I feel like he saved my oldest already as we got to baptize him this past year. And so now what are we doing? We're praying like crazy that he'll save my youngest. I mean, he's going to have to work hard for him. Like, this is like my strong-willed, hard-headed one, you know? And so we're praying like crazy. God gets a hold of his little heart, saves him from his sin and his wickedness, and makes him and fashions him and forms him into a man of God. And what God has done is allowed us to be in his life, their life, to direct them, to guide them, to press them, to correct them, to be intentional with them and have those conversations. All of those type of things in their life because we've got a vision for them. And for them to get to that place, we've got to work today. We've got to do a work today. So we're up late. We're at the wit's end. We're using energy and effort like never before. Why? Because we are begging God to do it. He's going to use us to do that. So we shape. We mold. We chisel. We bust out the belt if necessary. You know what I'm talking about. We are spankers. I'm sorry. Time out. We'll let them think about it after we spanked them. But that's just, that's the way we discipline. Because we've got a vision for our boys. And see, what the Bible has just said is this, is that God's got a vision for us. God has got a vision for us. God has this picture for you. God wants to bring you to this place. And because he loves you, because he's gracious, he's going to allow certain things to happen in your life. He's going to allow certain situations and stuff to happen. Why? Because he loves you. He's, he's, he loves you and he's gracious and he's merciful. When was the last time you thought of difficulties or struggles in that manner? Maybe this is God gotten something bigger for me. Maybe this is God doing a work in my life to help me grow and mature. Maybe this is God working in a mighty way. I just can't see it right now. All I've got to say is when mom and dad disciplined me, in that moment I hated it. I didn't see what in the world they were trying to accomplish or do. But they were doing something because they loved me. And that's what the Bible is telling us right here about God. Look at verse 7. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Church, that's great news. How do you know you belong to God? Because you're disciplined as a son. That's why. That, that is great news. That's how you can know you belong to Jesus because he disciplines you for what son is there from there whom his father does not discipline? The answer there should be none. None. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I, I don't want to be an illegitimate. God, you discipline as you see fit. I don't want to be illegitimate children that you're outside of. You're, you're not really a son or a daughter. No, I, it discipline me because it shows me. God, help me to know and to understand because, you, because in discipline it shows love. 
Verse 9 says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Oh, dang. So when God disciplines, he doesn't just do it because he's cold-hearted or because he gets cranky. Like, you know how we do it? Like, we can have a bad day at work or we can have a bad day or some things are going wrong. And what happens is it's easy to get short with our kids. And hear me, this, this is not, fathers, we need to pay attention to this because there's some great things that we can learn from this. We need to discipline our kids because we love them. We don't beat them. We don't take advantage. We don't abuse. That's not what, that's not what discipline is. We don't lord ourselves over them because we're bigger and stronger. No, no, no. Because we love them and we see something for their future, we want to shape and mold. And one of the ways that we do that is by discipline. And so what he's saying, I just love it. He disciplines us for our good. For our good. Not for his, not because he likes it. But because he loves us. He disciplines us for our good. And look, 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 that we may share his holiness. See, his discipline for us for our good helps shape and mold us into the image of the Son. Because when there's certain things that I do that don't represent Christ well, that don't represent the nature and character of God, whether it be something I say, a way that I act or react, the thing like I'm learning about myself right now is, is that I am an emotional basket case. Why do you laugh at that? Like, I'm being vulnerable, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that. Good, help me be better. And it's so funny because, like, here lately, Meredith and I are having conversations. Like, baby, i gotta, I got to keep these things in check. It's crazy. Like, what is going on with me? And all it is is God's just showing me and teaching me and allowing me to go through things and see things and be a part of things to shape me and mold me. And what I've learned about God is he's good enough to let me to continue to go through that until I learn the lesson that I need to learn. Like, 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 dad growing up was so good, right? Because he, he would warn me and warn me and warn me. And then when finally the warning was done, he would discipline. And I just believe God's doing the same thing. And he was gracious and loving enough to let me go. Even after he disciplined, son, do it again if you want to do it. I'm right back here ready to discipline again. And that is just a picture of our God because he loves us and he wants to transform and change us so that we may share his holiness Look at what verse 11 says. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. For the moment, it, it looks horrific and it feels really bad and we, we don't like it. We don't enjoy it. It's painful rather than pleasant. But here, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Dang, church, who thought you were going to come here this morning and hear about discipline and training and righteousness through discipline and difficulties? But what God says is don't shy away from it. Press into it and see what he's doing. See what he's working in us. See what he's trying to accomplish in us because he wants us to be holy as he is holy and that's how he chisels and, and works us over to be more like him and less like us. And so what God's saying here in Hebrews, what God is telling Habakkuk is that I've got this picture, I've got this vision for you. I'm wanting to turn you and transform you into this thing and we're going to need to chisel off some edges. We're going to need to send down some rough spots. But I'm going to absolutely need to break a couple things off of you to get you there. And it's going to seem painful. And it's going to seem awful. And it's going to seem to hurt. 
But if you just hang with me, when we come out of this on the other side, if you learn the lessons that I need you to learn, you're going to look so much more like me. You're going to act so much more like me and less like this world. Like I can just remember in high school, I mean, as high school, like football was everything. Like I was a kid for sports. You know, I just love, high school was a thing that got in the way for sports at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. And so football and basketball, like I lived for it. I can remember my, my sophomore year going into my junior year. is like my time to shine, man, you know? And I know like how we like, us guys, like we talk about the olden days. But like, like this was like, re- it was real. I'm telling you. Trust me. But it was my time to shine. And I was going to be the quarterback. And I was going to be the star basketball player. And I had all this stuff and this potential and co- colleges. I'm, I'm, I realized I was foot 10 on a tall day. Short little white dude that can jump this high. So I, I, but in my head, like I was a stuff. And God knew that I thought that. And so you know what God allowed to happen to me? He allowed me to have a broken foot. Yeah, he's gracious and loving enough to do that. And so he breaks one of my feet. And so I miss all of football season. Because three, three games in, I get to go back out there and I get to play. And as they insert me into the game, I'm just raring to hit somebody. And the little chicken on the other side turns his back. So just hit him, right? Man, let's go, let's hit. Turns his back, and so I try to pull up, and as I do, God graciously breaks my other foot. As if one wasn't enough. And so I can just remember going through that, but you know I learned some of the greatest lessons as I sat there on the sidelines and watched. I was an arrogant, prideful little punk, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I thought, like, me telling you that I thought I was the stuff, that's no joke, I thought I was the stuff. And what did God do? He allowed me to learn the hard way because he loves me. He didn't break my feet because he hated me. No, he broke my feet because, Scott, I've got a bigger, better thing for you. And, bro, you're not going pro. You know what I'm saying? Like a little white, stocky dude from West Virginia that can jump this high and throw it 15 yards on a good day. You're not going pro. And so then as I look back over my life and I look back at the first church and I, that I was a part of and the second church that I was a part of and then I moved here in the church, the little things that God allows to happen is just ways for him to just shape and form me into the image of his son because there's times that I responded wrongly. And so what did he do? He allowed me to go through that lesson again. Why? So that I could get it right the second time or the third time or the tenth time because he's gracious and loving. And so I say all that to say this church, but it's for our good. It's for our good. Oh, hear me this morning. It's for your good. It's for your holiness. It's for your righteousness. That's why God allows, and that's what God's trying to teach Habakkuk, trying to show him what he's doing. And so an understanding of discipline versus an understanding of wrath, what it does is allows us to tap into the idea and the reality of God's love and mercy even in the difficulty. Even in the difficulty. So for me growing up, this is how it worked. My mom and dad, uh, my mom had a brother who was a carpenter. And so in his love and grace for his nephew, he decides on my mom's request to make something called the Board of Education. And no, my uncle didn't work for the county. Yeah, you, you know where I'm headed. Yeah. It was about this big, wooden, and he engraved, oh, punk, engraved Board of Education because he was a carpenter and he could. And so that Board of Education taught my sister and I a ton of good lessons. I didn't like the lessons when they were happening. And then, then there was this other thing that my dad could do, and he would do often with me. He'd be like, son, 
Come on in. We need to have a seat. And I knew whenever he went sun and seat, it was not a good day. And so he'd come on in, son, have a seat. And he'd start off with this, we need to have a heart-to-heart. And this boy hated heart-to-hearts. Can we get the board? Let's go that route today, can we? Can I phone a friend and let's get the board of education in here and let's settle it that way? And so he would sit there with me and he would tell me and it would usually be because he said my britches were getting too big, which meant that I thought more of myself than I should. I thought that I knew it and I had it all right and I was... And what he was doing was he was shaping and molding me. And what I knew is in those moments, I hated it. I hated what was going on. I hated the board of education. If you go to work on the school board, congratulations. That's awesome, not yours. But my dad's, I hated the board of education. I hated heart-to-heart talk. I hated things. I couldn't stand it. But but let me tell you what I know now as a 35-year-old man standing here. I get it. I completely get it. I understand it. I even look back and thank God for those heart-to-hearts. As crazy as it is, I thank God for that board of education where God, where, where he allowed my parents to shape and mold me. I see that my dad was teaching me to be a man. I see that my mom was teaching me to be a man, how a man acts, how a man behaves, things that he says, things that he shouldn't say. I see all of that. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. I get it now. He, he did it because he loved me. He did it because he cared for me. He did it because he had a picture and a vision for what I could become. Because he loved me, that's what he did. So this is how I try to view everything that I'm going through. These are the lenses that I try to look through. Everything that's in my life. It's not that Satan's out, he's out to get me, but it's not that he's he's around every little bush trying to take me down. No, God is gracious and loving and he allows certain things to happen in my life or, or around me. Why? Because he wants to shape and mold me into the image of his son. And all I know is I need to be shaped and molded. Like every single person in this room, we're not even there. We're not there yet. We're not close. And I know that because we're still here. And he's got work to do in us. So what is he going to do? He's going to discipline us because he loves us, because he cares for us, because we're his sons and we're his daughters. And he wants to change us into the, his image. Into his image. So as Eric and the band comes back up, I just want to encourage you as we close. Man, this world has many, many troubles. It has many, many difficulties. Loss happens. Loneliness occurs. Desperation creeps in. Despair happens. People pass away. Disease is real. You lose your job. Sin catches up to you. Things happen. But the question you have to answer is about position. Is about position. Are you under wrath or are you under discipline? Are you under mercy? Are you under wrath? Are you under mercy and grace? And how that question is answered comes back to what you do with Jesus. It comes back to what you do with Jesus. What you do in your relationship with God. What we see is the Chaldeans rebelling against everything that God stood for. The Babylonians going against everything that God stood for. All their iniquity is what they wanted. Their sin, their way, their comfort, their stuff. That's what we see happening in the scriptures. But for God's people, our position in him is that of discipline. And as a good father, he disciplines. 
He doesn't take advantage. He doesn't abuse. But he disciplines because he loves. And how you answer that question, discipline or wrath, it's all about your relationship with Jesus. And so now you see why every week I'm begging you to make sure that you're his. I'm begging you to please make sure you're under discipline, not wrath. So that cup that we read about here in Habakkuk, that that God assures Habakkuk that's coming for the Chaldeans and Babylonians, so that cup that we talk about doesn't come to you. Isn't one that you'll have to taste of. Because for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus, through the redemptive work of the cross, he's, he's taken that cup. That cup has been poured out upon him for the sin of the world, for those who will be found in him, for those who will come to relationship with him. That cup has been poured out on Jesus, and we don't have to endure the cup. So that's why I beg week in and week out. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, they're going to taste of that cup in a way that is opposite of those that belong to Jesus. It's not discipline, it's wrath. But for those of us who are found in Christ, may it be discipline. May it be life-changing to the point of where we are shaped and formed into the image of our glorious, resurrected Savior. And so we press into that reality. We walk in that reality. Father, help us this morning. See that you are loving us enough to discipline us because you love us for us. And Father, I know that in a room like this that there are those that are hurting, those who have been through the ringer, those who have got tons of questions. And so, Father, my prayer is that perspective changes this morning. You're not out to get them, but you are out to get them. Because you want to change them, you want to change us. So you can use us all the more. So, Father, help us look through these lenses and realize you discipline those who you love. And so, Father, my prayer for us this morning is that the men and women in this room, that they, they would know you as Lord and Savior. And the cup that we've talked about this morning would be one that you have tasted of, not us. So, Jesus, do work in this place. God, shape hearts, mold hearts discipline as you see fit. God, draw as you see fit. But God, work, I pray. In your name. Amen. If you stand